Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, where we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Tyra Little. And my co-host for the month of July, we are at the end of July now, I'm going to miss them, but Dr. Sarissa Hughes, who's a doctor of nursing practice and psychiatric mental health nurse, and Pastor Tracy Hughes, who's the pastor of Grace Place Ministries. So today we're going to talk about racial reconciliation and post-traumatic growth. So let's get unpacked. We're going to get into it. So for the last past couple of weeks, um, Dr. Sarissa and Pastor Tracy, we've unpacked a lot of things, man. We dealt with understanding the dynamics of race-based trauma. We've discussed childhood trauma and trauma's impact on physical health. And so it's been a lot in each segment. Um, It's been a lot to take in, a lot to deal with, but it's necessary for us to get to where we're trying to go. So today, you know, as we're, we're talking, I want to kind of look at the fact that we've, all of these issues, man, it, they all point right back to race relations in America. And, you know, the obvious thing is that we have an issue. We have a problem. We all know this. Um, this is screaming at us. Um, it's a resounding over and over and over issue. So I guess I want to kind of start out with, as Dr. Sarissa was speaking with us and you were talking about um, how even in the psychology world, like, you all know that we have, um, that there are different issues that causes race-based trauma, but it hasn't necessarily been documented. Um, there are no actual, there's no actual um, information in the DSM about it. So when we're in a world where, you know, we're trying to deal with different perspectives and dealing with it from a mental standpoint, how, I mean, how do we actually deal with racial reconciliation, um, post-traumatic growth without even having it recognized, man, that this is definitely an issue that our community face? How do we deal with it? I think for me, and I know that all of us process trauma differently, we process our pain differently, um, mm-hmm. but the the idea of post-traumatic growth is really looking at pain from a different lens, um, and I love this concept because it doesn't deny our pain, it doesn't make light of what actually is taking place, but really it looks at all of the positive things that we gain as a result of the things that we've experienced. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I will say um, for, for communities of color, even though we have experienced a lot of trauma and there's been some setback, man, um, the strength and the resilience and the tenacity um, yeah. that we exhibit as a community is astonishing. Um, you know, how we are still able to achieve and overcome um, and be contributing members of society um, and really dominate some areas um, just as a result of us not being able to or, or not being given certain things, if that makes sense. Um, so I look at it from that perspective, but then mm-hmm. I look at it from the perspective of my responsibility as a believer. And so I'll, right. you know, defer to Pastor Tracy. So before we go, before we go to Pastor Tracy, though, I do want to ask. So when we talk about racial reconciliation, and you know, and, and you're you're spot on about our tenacity, and as we look over over the history of our lives, how, how as a community we're always able to bounce back or we keep moving forward. But at mm-hmm. what point is it that, you know, everyone expects us to forget about everything that has happened in the past and we should just move on. But mm-hmm. until we begin to deal with the elephant in the room that the, right. room, that the racial issues, that it, it, it is an issue. Um, until we begin to start dealing with race relations in America, how how can we begin to start, you know, peeling back or unfolding or more so you have clients that come in and you can identify that this is the issue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you still assess that, but you can't give it a, well, I would say a medical diagnosis? So, I mean, right, what does that right. look like for you, for you addressing that with your clients? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just really having those candid conversations um, and, and like you talked about earlier, just dealing with the elephant in the room, not being afraid to have those difficult conversations um, with some of our counterparts, advocating for mm-hmm. people of color, sitting at the table. Um, you know, right. we often make a joke about things, um, you know, in regards to being token. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. I might be one of the only people of color um, in the room or at a particular setting, well, mm-hmm. I consider that an honor um, that I get right. to advocate for people who look like me. Amen. I get to, not that I'm a spokesperson for the entire race, but I right. get to shed light and, and bring a different perspective that they may not otherwise get, for sure. Hey, that's that's good stuff. That's good stuff, Dr. Pastor Tracy. So hey, with yeah. the question, hey, hey, with the question that I posed to Dr. Hughie, um, looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, um, how do we begin to genuinely love other races after facing racial trauma? When when you when you consider that question, that's that part of it is an easy answer. And the easy answer is that we are instructed to love others as we have been loved. That means mm-hmm. as we have been forgiven, we have to forgive. As 
because love covers a multitude of sins. And mm-hmm. someone said to Sarissa and I uh, a while back that people are the most accommodating or some of the most accommodating people on the planet. Mm-hmm. And we, we would sometimes make ourselves uncomfortable just so other people can be comfortable. And when we look at that, we, we see other races, especially people from, you know, like the Middle Eastern countries or uh, just in the other countries. They come, when they come past you or if they're shopping next to you, they don't ask your permission for anything. They don't apologize. It's a public place. We're both shopping. We're the only ones that do that. So the easy answer is that we are to love as Christ loves us. The, the problem comes in when we throw in the word reconciliation. Mm. Because okay. forgiveness and reconciliation are not mis- mutually exclusive. You can forgive somebody, but you don't necessarily have to be reconciled to them. Mm. And that's what we look for. We, 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 when we forgive people, when we love people, we're looking for uh, an invitation to dinner. You may not ever get that. Mm. But, but, but do you I really think? Say, but, but let me ask you something, Pastor Tracy. Let me ask you a question because you're saying yeah. we're looking for Do you really think that um, in forgiving that we're actually looking for an invitation of acceptance because we've forgiven you? Hear what I said. Hear what I said. <clears throat> Where the water gets muddy mm-hmm. is we don't consider forgiveness and reconciliation to be mutually exclusive. We're talking about racial reconciliation, not forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about racial reconciliation, that that is a conversation that gets so much deeper and it requires so much more of both parties Mm -hmm. because the forgiveness part is what we're responsible for. Right. And the problem is even to this day, because racial trauma is not in the DSM, it says that the offender is not willing to come to the table and be reconciled. Mm. So Correct. our position, yes. mm-hmm. our position then is that we have to forgive and keep moving. Mm. So <laughs> here's what it is. Every group other than white America, hear what I'm saying moving because you cannot be stopped. So much so that we see situations like uh, is it um, Simone Biles, is it? The gymnast? Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. She is so accomplished that they are changing the rules in gymnastics. The whole attempt at stopping the Hispanics and building walls and all this stuff 
Because if you if you really look at what's going on in America, if you look at TV ads, it's hard pressed to see a TV ad without being uh, without the former inundation of white America. Now you see everybody on there. Sometimes you be looking for the white people on TV. Why am I saying that? Forgiveness does not necessarily mean you have to be reconciled. And what and to go back to your question, uh, Tyra, is that our only responsibility is to forgive. If reconciling if reconciliation is an option, then we take it. So the invitation to dinner is the reconciliation, not the forgiveness part. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah, until sense. two people – go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I just said no. I mean, that makes sense. I I, I get it. But when you first said it, it, I had to come back to kind of clarify because it wasn't – it wasn't as clear. So that's why I was like, I mean, do you really think that we all look for that? Because for me, in forgiveness, I forgive you, but I don't necessarily look for it to be anything else because the forgiveness part is for me. But see, that's what I'm saying. The topic of tonight's conversation is racial reconciliation, not racial forgiveness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in order for two people to be reconciled, both parties have to come to the table, open heart with an open mind, to say, hey, let's be, what, what, did, what did God say to us? What did he say to Israel? He said this. He said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. How does that translate to us? Hey, brother, let's sit down, man. Let's see what's what's really keeping us apart. And though I've been offended, though I may have offended you, let's see if we can put this aside. Let's see if we can get past this and look past what the enemy is doing to us and let us be reconciled to one another. Because right now I'm hurting, and I am hurting as a result of what you're doing. If the other party is not willing to do that, you're stuck. You know what? And, and, and I hear that, and all of that is valid, and I understand that. But at some point, I mean, this this is going on for too long. Even the issue with the diagnosis not being in the DSM to where people can have this clinically diagnosed. I mean, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of chatter that is out here um, where you can look and see that they do recognize that racial trauma is definitely an issue. Um, But we still have an accountability. We can forgive, but it's it's a time now to where we still have an obligation to where we need to start having different legislative rules change. We need, because, I mean, it's an ongoing thing. How long do you continue to, Keep turning the other cheek. But see, that's the part of it right there, and as you feel necessary. That's the part of it right there, and that's why I say keep going. Keep going, pressing the issue. Keep going and, and advocating at the tables that you 
that, right. that you have earned the right. I was going to say that you're allowed to be. Mm. But the tables, that, the tables that you have earned the right to sit at. Correct. Mm. Correct. Use your voice. Right. Pastor Tracy, we have Use a caller. We have a caller. Yes. Um, I'm going to open the line for a caller, 5375. Um, hi, everyone. I'm um, Sharon Anderson. Um, I am a friend of Tara. And hi. Um, hey, how you doing? Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I noticed what you said about forgiveness. And it makes sense. And how do we keep going? When, you know, I'm thinking that where is it that we start teaching more so than talking as well hmm. and demanding? Because so, I'm from... Go ahead, Sharon. Because, well, yeah, because what I'm seeing, you know, back in the day, we can't fight the fight alone. When we had mm-hmm. our Bernie Sanders out there and that, that Marco Selma, when we had other than the blacks there. I mean, is it going to be until it happens to them that is a problem? That because uh, Tara, as you say, we're still turning the other cheek and we're being responsible for each other. But I think once we continue to put it on out there and start teaching and demanding, and we can't fold and let that because we are human and we do have feelings. Right. Is it Absolutely. going to help us if we start teaching more? Because is it a right or wrong thing? It's, it's very much an injustice. It's an injustice. And so, you know, when we have these injustices, I mean, yes, we're, we're talking about it. We're having these conversations. But it still goes back to what continues to happen is no one on the other side really wants to admit, you know, America has to go back and repent for a whole bunch of transgressions of what they've done to other races. Um, And and I think until we begin, until they begin, they begin to take accountability and understand that, man, we have to deal with this. I don't see how, how a healing on a whole front would take place. Now we have our own um, responsibility for our own individual healing and how we begin to make that look. And so that's one of the other things that we will segue into as to how we begin to get these tools and put these tools in our toolboxes so when these things happen, we can begin to deal with it so we can continue, just as Pastor Tracy said, as we can continue to move on. But, you know, all of the weight is not on us, but we are definitely responsible for our own healing so that we can function. Go ahead, Pastor Tracy, what you were getting ready to say. Dr. Hedy, did you have something you wanted to share? No, I'm just I'm just listening, um, you know, to what Tyra is saying and what Sharon said and, you know, even what you were saying earlier. And, um, you know, I, I think for many of us, I mean, it, it's exhausting, right, um, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. oftentimes mm-hmm. the responsibility does fall on us. 
um, because some people are oftentimes our carnal parts have a choice in terms of whether or not they want to engage or um, interact with people of color, uh, whereas more times than not, we don't have a choice. Um, and so that's why we oftentimes take on that, that level of responsibility. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, even the, the complexity of the issue and what responsibilities do we have um, to reconcile other than forgiveness? Because typically, um, as it relates to reconcil- reconciliation and what Pastor Trace said, the offender has to say, hey, I'm wrong. And then reconciliation, if, yeah, if the other person who has been offended decides that they want to engage in reconciliation, then it can take place. Um, but as you said, oftentimes there's no admittance um, right. And there's no admittance because on an individual level, people do not feel responsible. Like, well, I didn't enslave your people or I didn't do this and I didn't do that. Um, and so then there's there's no repentance. Right. But, you know, and Sharon, thank you for the comments yes. and, and the questions. But teaching is definitely part of the solution. And that is teaching ourselves, teaching each other to respect each other. That's where it starts. Because if you, you can't really expect a whole lot of somebody that hates you mm-hmm. for no apparent reason. Right. And I think we would be wise if we didn't lump everybody in the same Bold, because all black people are not the same, all Hispanic people are not the same, all white people are not the same. Sharon made a comment earlier. She said, well, you know, the people that were marching the civil rights, they weren't alone, that we had some white Americans fighting with us. So those people that we're close to, those people that we can educate, teach, that this is a grave offense. That this right here, when you say this, when you behave this way, when you respond this way to a black person, that's microaggression. Mm -hmm. So if we're not teaching those that we can have the conversation, because we we won't be able to have the conversation with everybody because everybody is not sensible. You have some fools in the world. Yeah. 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 That's okay. Right? So when 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 we consider that, when we consider that you have the conversations with the people that you're able to, and it's not going to change overnight. I was just sharing with my wife after last week we were talking, we, we kind of recapped about the, about the show. And I said, do you realize that on the show we commented that all the diseases that were mentioned were a result of pressure that, that we face? Consider this. You, you take the average white person, they're not afraid of dogs. They'll walk up to your dog. They don't care what the dog is. They don't care what. They will walk up to the dog and, hey, oh, you know, they'll speak to the dog before they speak to you. Why am I saying that? The average black person is afraid of a dog. Mm -hmm. Okay, where am I going with this? Oh, that's over here. 
Consider the history. Mm-hmm. Well, great-great-granddaddy was chased through the swamp by a dog. The dogs were in the fields, ran off, and the dogs were sick on us. You know, come come forward, civil rights. Dog was sick on us. So stay away from the dogs. But the problem is that we have to teach ourselves out of that. We have to teach ourselves out of what uh, uh, John Lynch put in there for 400 years. It's not going to go away overnight. And you say, how long? Well, how long is going to take as long as it takes to do it? And can I say something else? You sure can. Okay. When when I talked about the educational part and, it, you know, Pastor, you made me think, because I often um, – say to myself, when I see these injustices happening to any, you know, blacks and, you know, Sharon, how are you going to face that? I'm preparing myself, should I? And I'm self-talking to educating myself. And not to make an excuse for them, but I know I have to be in control of me. Right. And I'm working on my salvation and um, just to be a better person because I know me and my mouth. Are you having a good day? Are you having a bad day? I'm learning these self-talks with me to educate, and I'm not going to take it personal, but I'm not going to go there, and I'm not going to let you bring me into this. And this is where I'm talking with education part. Like, you know, you can't make me famous like this, but that's what I'm doing to prepare myself because I don't want to have to go through this. Right. But it's unfortunate that we have to, that we have to keep doing, you know, kindness. That's all we've ever done in the African-American, you know, been kind. But sometimes you get to the, I can't take it anymore, but this is just me maturing myself. Right, right. Make me a better person, educating me, and I look at it and what could we have done different? Sometimes we have to go through some things, you know, you have to go through the fire. But where's our learning point from that? And that's when I say about the educational part. And not to blame anybody. But right. we only, you know, it's just unfortunate that we're going through this in America. I mean, and it's, this, this has been <laughs> ever since we've been here. <laughs> you know, nothing has changed. But when you talk about the educational piece, Sharon, um, the one thing that I can say is that, if I'm not mistaken, and um, Dr. Hughes, you can speak to this, but this is one of the things that your actual business do, correct? with different businesses. Oh, yes, yes. We provide um, mental health engagement opportunities, absolutely, Um, and and really just educating people on various mental health topics in order to kind of bridge the gap and reduce mental health disparities, which oftentimes happen in communities of color for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right here, you guys, is a good time to take a break. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, We're going to start talking about the post-traumatic growth. I want to um, talk a little about how do we begin to develop these tools to place in our toolbox so that we can continue to function. Um, You know, as Dr. Hughie spoke about the tenacity of our community, you know, for, for years, this is what we've been, you know, 
still moving on, still going. But we want to talk about how to give our listeners some tools to put in their toolbox. So this is Pressure Points Unpacked, and I'm your host, Tyra Little, and um, we're going to take a break. Your skin isn't just skin. It's a beautiful reflection of every single thing you've been through in life. Which is why Dove Body Wash removes your skin's ceramides and strengthens it against dryness. For instantly softer, smoother skin, you can lovingly embrace. Renew the love for your skin with Dove Body Wash. Welcome back to Pressure Points Unpacked, and I'm your host, Tyra Little. And so we're going to continue this conversation about racial reconciliation and post-traumatic growth. Dr. Hugie, um, after experiencing racial trauma, how do how do we begin to um, ease our mind from from a mental standpoint um, when you're looking at putting tools in your toolbox? How do you deal with sure. that from a mental point? So, um, so as we talked about earlier, post-traumatic growth it doesn't negate. Um, the pain of the experience, the adversity, and and the challenges that we go to as it relates to racial trauma or any kind of personal trauma. But mm-hmm. what it does do is it repurposes our pain. It adds meaning and significance to what we've experienced. And post-traumatic growth really looks at five areas. Um, the first area is opportunities. The second area is relationships, strength, gratitude, and then spiritual growth. And when we talk about post-traumatic growth, and I want to take the time just to break down each of these areas very quickly, opportunities. Um, What opportunities have you gained as a result of your trauma? Um, What what relationships um, did you gain or what relationships deepened as a result of the trauma that you've experienced? Um, and I'll give an example for this. So many of us during the pandemic, even though that was a traumatic time, we were able to stand still. So we got the opportunity to spend more time with family members, right, those of our own households mm-hmm. specifically. And a lot of those relationships deepened. A lot of people were even more intentional about reaching out to other family members. Uh, so those are just some examples of how this can work. Um, In terms of strength, I call it a superpower. What superpower have you gained as a result of the adversity you experienced? For what things are we more grateful for, right? Certain things Mm -hmm. that other people may take it for granted. What can we be grateful for? And then in terms of our spiritual walk, those of us who are believers or even people of other faiths, how has the challenges that we've experienced deepened our faith? You know, how has it taught us to rely on God? And so when we talk about post-traumatic growth, it's really turning our suffering into something positive. Um, into, because oftentimes growth happens in uncomfortable places, right? Um, right. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be, obviously there are challenges, um, but we don't necessarily have to only focus on those challenges, only focus on those difficulties, but we can look at other opportunities and things that we gained as a result of the challenges that we faced. And it, it, it's not 
saying I am who I am in spite of what I've experienced, but I am who I am because of what I've experienced. Um, and, and like we talked about earlier, growth doesn't negate the suffering. It's not mutually exclusive, but growth mm-hmm. oftentimes does happen in the midst of suffering. Right, right, right. Those are some, some awesome points there. Um, awesome points. Um, and, and as you say, you know, when we, have, when we experience these different things, I mean, we, we do have to break this down. Um, kind of goes back to what Sharon, you know, um, with the educational piece of it. So I, I think you really nailed it there because, you know, you broke down the components of how we look at trauma. How, how do we begin to, you know, compartmentalize how we're going to go forward. So I, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really some good points. Um, at this point in time, I know you have something that you definitely want to share with the listeners. So, um, Dr. Hughie, I'm going to let you go ahead and announce what your next project that you have coming. I am a published author. So this is very exciting news um, on August 1st. Uh, pre-orders will begin for my very first book, and it's entitled Cultivating and Creating Healthy Mind Spaces, Nine Strategies to Emotional Wellness and Personal Growth. And I'm, I'm really excited. In this book, my goal was to combine what I experienced personally with mm-hmm. my clinical experience um, and, and really encourage people to not only to be intentional about their mental health, um, but to view themselves from a different lens, um, to, to view their growth process from a different lens. And when we talk about mind spaces, mind spaces is a combination of everything that makes up our mental health internally, our thought processes, our emotions, our perspectives, and then even externally, our relationships, um, our environment, either work environment or our home environment, and how all of those things work together to either facilitate or sabotage our mental health. And it's, it's very important to align what's happening internally with what's happening mm-hmm. externally. So that's what um, my book is all about, is doing what is necessary um, to cultivate and create healthy mind spaces, to um, create optimal environments for you to grow and produce and become the person that God has created you to be. So I'm excited to um, launch this book. I believe it's going to be the first of many. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't wait to see um, how God does this, how many lives will be impacted as a result of um, what he's given me to share in this book. I think that's, that's awesome. Um, and I'm definitely going to make sure I get a copy because to me, that's, that's another resource. As I say, you know, we have to have tools in our toolboxes. Um, in order to be able to deal with adversity when it comes. Um, and um, I'm really looking forward to jumping in and reading that. Um, I, I know it's going to be beneficial. Definitely proud of mm-hmm. you. So now we're going to do, yeah, we, we're going to swing on over here to Pastor Tracy because um, I think you have an announcement for us also. Pastor Tracy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Sarissa and I, we we actually are, uh, we finished our books around the same time. I actually started mine about four or five years ago, but didn't have the strategies to, to complete it, and I just kind of put it on the back burner. But the title of my book is called Rebel 
or responder. A guide for emerging leaders answering their call to purpose. So one of the things I, I asked about in the book is, is what we do for a living, is what we do every day. Our life's work or it's just something that pays the bill that we've got that we've gotten used to, that we, we've grown accustomed to and we've settled for. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be labeled one or two ways for different reasons. You're either going to be labeled a rebel because you're going against the grain and doing what you're called to do, or you're going to be a rebel because you rebelled against God and didn't do what he asked you to do, or you're going to be a responder, purpose in the thing that God designed you for. So when the scripture talks about when Jesus taught us how to pray, and he, and he taught us, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Part of the reason why we are having this conversation about racial reconciliation and post-traumatic growth is because many of us are not walking in our divine purposes. Hmm. Someone, someone with, an, with an incredible oratory gift, they don't always have to be a preacher. They right. could be the lawyer. But we, we are challenged when it comes to increasing our capacities to do what it is we're called to do. We'll just find a job in the plant, and then we'll set up our lives around that. And if we try to do anything else, it's so strenuous. It, it, it challenges so many other areas in our lives that we almost can't make the move. Right, right. Well, Pastor Tracy, that definitely sounds like another good book to um, put in our little toolbox. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. So um, what I want to ask, so now when your book is getting ready to, so are you guys launching them both at the same time? Would it August 1st for both? Mine's going to be 15 days later. Okay. So August All 15th. August 15th. Okay. But you can, so, you can actually do, go ahead, I'm sorry. So if um, people want to pre-order, um, Sarissa, can you tell us how we can pre-order your book? And then, Pastor Tracy, you can let us know how to, how to pre-order yours. Sure. So um, my website is mindspace.org. Um, my handles on Facebook as well as Instagram is at mindspace. SC and that's M Y N D space SC. And so there will be links on all of the social media platforms as well as I will be advertising on my personal page. Um, and so those pre orders will be available as of August 1st. Um, and the, from August 1st through August 30th, you'll be able to pre order the book um, and you receive it on or by September 1st. If you pre-order, um, unless you pre-order within the last few days of the month, but we'll do our best to, to get the books to, the books to you on launch date, which is September 1st. And if you order during that pre-order period, you will get a signed copy. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I announced last night on my social media page and have already gotten a lot of response and a lot of encouragement. And so I'm looking forward to a blessing as many people as possible. Amen. Pastor Tracy, where can we um, pre-order your book? So 
on my Facebook is Tracy Huji, and my email is Tracy Huji at Gmail, or you can go to calibration at gmail dot com. And okay. just like Sarissa, so anybody that does the pre order, um, mm-hmm. we want to personally sign it and, and write your note thanking you and just encouraging you to to just walk into everything that God has called you to do so that we can represent heaven and the earth. All right. That's good stuff. So um, this is a moment here to segue here. Um, You guys, I thank you all for being on on the month of July with me. I appreciate you. taking time out your busy schedules. I know you both work full time. Um, you have young twins at home, and um, I know you mm-hmm. have a very busy, busy schedule. Um, but I, I truly thank you for taking the time to contribute, um, give the listeners some tools, um, and just the candid discussions that we've had. So I want to thank you from my entire heart, I won't say from the bottom of my heart, but from my entire heart, thank you for being a guest on Pressure Points Unpacked. So you guys have told everybody Absolutely. as far as to where you can get your books. Um, I'm going to do a quick run through again, um, just if you want to leave any last words of wisdom, Dr. Hughie. Sure. Um, Tyra, it has truly been our privilege, I can speak for my husband and say this, and our honor to be a part of what God is doing through you. And so uh, my prayer is that he continues to increase your capacity. And I just even want want to pray a special blessing or declare a special blessing over you um, that you will become and do all the things that he has placed in your heart to do. And I know sometimes that can be overwhelming, particularly when you've been given such a mandate. And so I thank you for your obedience, but I also thank you for um, sharing your platform with us. And so I think that my last word, um, particularly for people of color, is to prioritize your mental health. And that, and that is my conversation all the time. I often say that emotional wellness is a lifelong journey. And so we have to start somewhere, though. And so if you are not intentional about your healing process, and that's not always seeing a therapist, that's not always taking medication, although those things are tools that God has given us, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's conversations that we need to have with loved ones. Sometimes it's things that we need to admit to ourselves and admit to God, um, overcoming our fears. But start somewhere and, and be intentional Because um, when God gave me this call, um, one of the very first things that he showed me, even in his word, was the connection between mental health and purpose. Mm. Because it truly affects every aspect of your entire life. And when we think about the scriptures that talk about mental health and talk about the mind and how we have to be renewed and transformed in our mind and as we think in our heart. Whatever our perspective is, that is what we will become. And so many of us, because we're oftentimes in the body so focused on the spiritual, let me speak in tongues, let me run around the church, let me listen to praise and worship, let me do this, all of these quote-unquote spiritual things, which are important, right? Right. Um, But 
we are not, people are not getting set free and becoming healed and delivered because we are denying the other part of ourselves, um, which is our emotions and our mind. And so that's my encouragement, the life and the godliness. Um, and in doing so and, and focusing and putting all of those things together, then you will become everything that he's created you to be. So God bless you all, and um, I'll continue to tune in to Pressure Point Unpacked for sure. Thank you so much. Pastor Tracy. Okay, so, yeah, um, and I, 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 I want to kind of address Sharon just for a brief second. And I just wanted to encourage her because the, the, the enemy of emotional stability is offense. And if we if we continue to be so focused on, and not that you are, but it's just something that you said that that made me think because I, I you know we find ourselves as people of color in this position very often, where it's like we're just hit left and right, you know. It, we 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 experience it on the job, you know. Somebody calls us a you know bill collector or you know, somebody, they, they mishandle us. So we, we're always in this emotional turmoil. But when I said earlier that we are to keep going, what I mean by that is focus. Increase your capacity to be independent. Increase your capacity to not be so dependent on systems. Right. Make them, make, make America, make America look over your fence and stop looking over the fence to see what's going on over there. Right. Pastor Tracy, I'm going to have to interrupt you real quick because even though we're on the way heading out, but there is someone um, on the line that wants to ask a quick question. So let me bring them in. um, And then we'll go from there. Caller 6610, last four, 6610. Hi, my name's is Camelia. How are you guys doing? Hi, Camelia. How are you? Hey, Camelia. So I was trying to call in a little bit earlier, So, and I know you guys are at the wrap-up point, but I wanted to add with um, the, the last caller that I at least got to hear. I'm sorry I didn't get to catch all of it. Sharon. Was, mm-hmm. um, um, just overall talking about um, the reconciliation and the growth and moving forward and education around that piece. And one of the mm-hmm. things I wanted to emphasize is the importance of us teaching people how to treat us. So in this era of um, where many people are wanting to know how to avoid microaggressions or how to be an ally is just letting them know. One example that I use is my preference of my ethnicity. I look at race as science. The science of me, my ethnicity, tells you the culture of me. And so although I live here in Baltimore, I'm from the low country. So in every Mm -hmm. encounter, whether we're looking for okra in the grocery store or I'm ordering a chicken box, I make an effort to (laughs) emphasize who I am and why that's important to me. But I also let my colleagues know, whether it's the CEO of the company or one of my peers, that I don't appreciate necessarily being lumped in as a person of color 
um, because we've progressed from that term, and I explain why I prefer the term African-American, and I liken it to the way that now um, our LGBTQIA plus community is making their pronoun choice be known. Um, and so that's one way that I feel like we're reconciling is just teaching them how to interact with us. So that's one. Number two for us as a people in terms of education, I'll go real quick, is the significance of, like Dr. Hughie said, of how much we've overcome, but our history began before slavery. So mm-hmm. our need to empower our children Um, and ourselves about how great we've always been in addition to coming here because of our technological abilities to deal with rights and um, progressive people. So I say all that to say that that becomes a part of our growth is that we've been great and we're Mm -hmm. still great and not always Mm -hmm. speaking from a place of deficit. So we have to do it when they're young. Right now we're talking about Egypt with my little boy, but we're also doing African folk tales in addition to him learning about the Gullah culture in Charleston because it's important that there's pride in that part of us. Um, And then Power Couple, I'm so excited. I hope there's going to be a book signing when I come to visit Charleston. Yay, keep doing the great job. And sorry to interrupt the wrap-up for this. No, you're you're fine. But but hold up. No, but you're fine. But now I got a question for you. But I got a question for you now. (laughs) Because (laughs) you you made the distinction of why, how you want to be referred to. So, but you didn't expound Mm -hmm. as to why. So I want you to I want you to open that up. I, I want you to go ahead and, and explain to us why is it that you don't oh, want to be sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, ready. So first yeah. of all, <laughs> I know sure. my husband teases that even in the grocery store, I explain this to people, even when they just say hi, how you doing? <laughs> but the reason I prefer the term African American versus just black, and again, I've and many times because I do feel like our that piece of black, white, and those different terms are more about the science of our blood type, at least in context to me. Um, And as both an educator and a clinician, the term African-American or whenever you add that, um, that place where your people came from before the American piece, it reflects you being a part of a bigger culture, in particular mm-hmm. to our culture being from the low country, that region of the South where um, the slave culture was most untouched for a long time because of, one, our, you know, lack of access for a variety of other reasons. We were able to maintain some of those pieces that, um, that our our ancestors brought with them, whether mm-hmm. it's the red rice that we make and the jollof rice that the West Africans make, or whether it's that call and response in the church, the double hand clap. So it's all of those different pieces that make um, our experience unique. But I also mm-hmm. respect that everyone doesn't see that way, right? My husband is from here in Baltimore, so we used to say we had a mixed marriage because for a long time he only identified himself as either, well, primarily as an American or a black American, <laughs> but kind of starting to see my point of view, he, he's, he's beginning to come on our side and he's reading the book too. <laughs> and I tell it because it's like, why not be a part of this? You did not just Oh, you're laughing, Jason. Cut it out. Yeah, and come on this. And then the last thing for callers that are listening, just remember that we're a part of, like, there's hieroglyphics of yoga positions on the the Egyptian wall. Whether or not you believe in yoga, that's a big phenomenon around the world, and to know that Africans had some part in that, right? Those Aesop fables, 
African slave had that one, right, that got kidnapped in, um, in Greece. What was the other point I wanted? Oh, and then the great renaissance of art where you had the Picassos and the Matisses, they had an African influence, period. So when those anthropologists tried to make us doubt our culture and say that we are a bunch of savages, they're not identifying the fact that there were the Moors who, you know, taught the Spanish how to do the things that they were doing at the time, or that in Africa people were eating off a plate. Evolved people are only the people who are able to do things like that, like make jewelry and eat off of dishes, if their primary concerns are already covered. So that means we'd been evolved before we'd had those contacts. And you know we've been here before um, Columbus got here, because there are conversations about that. So I won't go that far. But again, I'm a clinician, so every contact that I have, whether it's with my adults or when I work primarily with the kids, I would find a way to sneak in some of those empowerment moments because we have to know how great we are. Yeah, so they're not absolutely. that we're not always just looking at ourselves right. as what we couldn't do. So whether it's every right. day you learn some mm-hmm. new Afrocentric perspective or right. like for me it's I love food. So every time that I can find a dish that we eat in the country that they eat somewhere along the diaspora, I bring it up. It's a conversation piece. Right. And we have to just do those those parts. Right, right. That's amazing. I love it. That's the post growth part. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I will even add this, Camilla. One of the things because I used to substitute teach, and one of the main things that I would do when I subbed is I would always, you know, make sure that I took care of what the teacher agenda was. But I always came with my own book um, because I'm an African American studies major. and so I would come with books with melanin in me because it's a shame that I never knew anything about melanin until I went to college. Why is that? And so when I would sub in the elementary schools, man, I would always read that book. The kids would just be so excited. So someone is real close to their radio. Um, but anyway, I thank you for calling in. I appreciate you, and I hope that you continue to listen to Pressure Points on that. Yes, thank you. And send the book title. I don't know how we can get that. Give it to Dr. Eugene, because <laughs> yeah, the I'll book title sounds like a good one, yeah, especially if I'll, elementary I'll kids love it, because, again, yeah. we try to do that, too. So thank you for having this format, and I'm excited to get the books and come for a book signing in the Lowcountry. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. At at this point, um, again, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. Um, I'm just excited about the platform. Um, And I'm just, you know, every month, as you can see, we will have a new um, person from the physical, um, gosh, I can't even talk right now, from the mental health community as well as having a clergy member from the community. So every month you'll get an opportunity to hear from different people along with the different guests that we will have. So I thank you so much for listening. Um, We're live every Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And if you can't catch us then, you can always catch us on repeat. We're on basically every platform, podcasting platform that I can think of. So thank you. This is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and we'll see you next Tuesday. It's already done. It's already finished. 
Mama. 